Well, thanks to all the readers and leading us through to hear again the story of how the death of Jesus came about. Uh, Some people say this is the most honest service of the year. Our hearts get honest as we begin to think about our lives. I have just one more reading, and it's from the prophecy of Isaiah talking about this day um, that would come and talking about the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's mortal after all. He is. Maybe you heard the news this week that Chris Hemsworth, who is better known as the God of Thunder from the Marvel Avenger series, knows that he's made of flesh like me and you. Maybe you've heard, um, and by the way, actually he was in the process of uh, filming a series of shows for National Geographic with the title Limitless, And the purpose of this show is to teach a different way of life that leads to greater strength and long life and building resilience and regenerating damages. During medical testing for an episode, Hemsworth discovered he has the genetic marker for contracting Alzheimer's disease. He said when he heard the news this, most most of us, We like to avoid speaking about death in the hope that we'll somehow avoid it. We all have this belief that we'll figure it out. Then to all of a sudden be told some big indicators are actually pointing to this as the route which is going to happen. The reality of it sinks in. Your own mortality. Now I thought when I heard this that The number of times he's been called a hunk is probably limitless, right? And my wife's attention to him might also be limitless, I'm afraid. (laughs) But he is very limited. And it struck me as ironic that this man playing a god has discovered how limited he is when the man who came as God was so willing to accept the limits of his humanity to be with us. And oh yes, we know this too ourselves. We've lived through enough aches and pains to know this, that whether it's Alzheimer's or cancer, disease or pneumonia, our day will come as well. So tonight we consider why Jesus came into our world, a world that is often brimming with suffering, and yes, with death, why this one who truly is limitless took on flesh. 
and why he died actually in the worst sort of way, and how his death and coming gives us a living hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we so much need the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we managed to tamp it down, but the fears in this life could easily take control. And Lord, also the worries and anxieties we carry. So I pray that you'll lead us on a path to Jesus so that we might know what, what our lives, how our lives are found in him and the security we have because he's come and he's died for us. And we pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Then he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Those words probably sound familiar. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's found himself in the place that none of us ever want to be. Filled with such grief, we're not sure that we want to go on living. We've heard in the scripture passages tonight this pathway that Jesus took as he walked to the cross and to his death. And it all seems so senseless when you see his love and his life. It, it really seems meaningless. And the disciples themselves just couldn't possibly understand. I think it's also true of us. We don't know what to do with suffering. It's sort of like that part that's left over. You ever do an assembly project and you get to the end of all those steps and there's a part left and you're like, okay, I know this goes somewhere, but I'm not sure where. That's how we feel about suffering in our world. We, we don't know how it fits into the reality of the world we're living in. Haven't you asked why of God? I know I have. And sometimes we know how much, we see how much we and others have suffered around us. I remember I was in college, I think it was my second year, when I ended up spending an evening after a funeral with my great aunt Margaret. There's a picture of her after her husband died. It actually was her fourth husband. She had been widowed by that evening four times. At the age of 19, she was a smith. She married a man that later, within two years, contracted TB and passed away. After that, she was a farber. She married a guy named Clark Farber. He was the love of her life. And he was out one day on a golf course in Tampa with three buddies playing golf when a thunderstorm came up. They took shelter in a small hut. The hut was struck by lightning and her husband and two of those other men died because of it. Then after that, she was a mercer. She married Herman Mercer, who she didn't, he, he didn't know he was sick at the time, but within six years, he was dead of cancer. And that fourth man, his name was Ben, Ben McGuffey. They'd been married less than two years when they were at church for an evening worship service. In the middle of a hymn, he was singing about God and his glory. He had a heart attack and he never recovered. I heard Margaret's story that night and I couldn't comprehend her grief. Why so much pain? Now, of course, this is one of the greatest challenges to faith. How can we believe in God when there's so much pain and hardship in our world? When death lurks at the door of our lives and the lives of those we love. Now, of course, the Hindus 
teach that none of this world, death and suffering is actually real. It's all an illusion. Tell that to a couple whose baby is fighting cancer. But I understand it's an easy exit from the problem that none of us really wanna wrestle with, but all of us actually have to. Then of course there's fatalism which is widely embraced today. And it says, well, that's just the way life is. We better get used to it, learn to accept it. These things just happen. But we actually know that if this were true, we humans would have come to terms with it a long time ago and we wouldn't be troubled about it today. We know this just can't be true. And of course, there's those who believe in karma. We're just getting back what we deserve in life and what's coming to us. We hope that, we, what, what hope does that actually leave us? Especially when we see some pretty bad people who are living much healthier lives than we may be. And finally, there's some Christians who say, well, only if you had enough faith that would keep you from suffering. Bad things won't happen to you if you believe enough. But that leaves us always feeling like we failed because our faith is too weak. Those things wouldn't have happened. And by the way, Jesus himself was overwhelmed by sadness. He faced suffering and death. Did he lack faith? Or did this happen precisely because he did have faith in his father? You see, tonight we learn that suffering is never for nothing. We see why Jesus came to die for us and how his suffering and death bonds him to us. Now, the scripture I read comes from the prophet Isaiah, and I mentioned that it's in his teaching about the suffering servant. God promised to, to send this deliverer to his people, and he made this promise hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. But here's the shock of God's promise. The deliverer wouldn't crush their enemies. He himself would be crushed. He wouldn't be hailed, but despised. He wouldn't be celebrated, but rejected. And his life would be filled with suffering and pain. Here's Isaiah. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. And of course, none of this made any sense. How could the deliverer, how could he deliver them if he himself was defeated? Why would he be rejected by God if he was chosen by God? You see, it's at the cross that God's plan seemed to be destroyed. When the one that was hoped would redeem Israel actually died. But why? Here's Isaiah again. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The prophet Isaiah explains God calls his people by name. He knows them. He tells them not to be afraid. But he doesn't promise there'll be no fire or no rising waters. There will be. We know suffering. We meet with loss and pain. But the difference is here. God says, I will be with you. 
Now, before Jesus came, people could only take this promise figuratively. Yes, sure, God cares, but he's far away. He's not really with us. But then when Jesus arrived on the scene, here was God in living flesh, enduring all that we know and telling us, wherever you are, you're not alone. He knows your frame. He knows our weaknesses. He laughs, he cries, he gets tired and hungry. He's betrayed by his friends. He, he bleeds. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Our God isn't distant and unengaged in our world. He isn't removed from our experience. He has lived all of this that we have. He knows the dark night of unanswered prayer. He knows long days that leave you exhausted and spent. He knows the death of people who are closest to him. And he isn't protected from distress. He's smack in the middle of it with us. Over the last couple of years, I've shared some of Kate Bowler's story. You'll see a picture of her. She teaches at Duke University. At age 35, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And you know the number of years you typically live with that isn't real long. And so she started treatment. And between her treatments, she decided she would do some of the things on her bucket list. She visited the Grand Canyon. And as she was driving along Route 66, she looked along the road as she was driving and there was a little chapel. So she pulled over. It was surrounded by pines in this beautiful setting and she realized she could get in. The door was actually open. And when she went in, all marked inside that chapel was graffiti of all sorts of messages, some fresh and many faded. And as she stepped closer, she began to read, I miss you every day. Please let my daughter be the way she was before. Did you make it to heaven, my love? Helen, I am weak, but you already knew that. The walls and even the rafters were filled with messages on hundreds of little strips of paper. The messages were hurts and longings. They were losses and prayers and questions. And of course, Jesus would have added his own, would he not? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus is with us. We come near the cross and we hear Jesus groaning as we have groaned. Here's what Kate said. Someone has built a monument to the void and it was full to the brim. I must accept the world as it is or break against the truth of it. My life is made of paper walls and so is everyone else's. You see, the death of Jesus says, I'm with you as far as life will take you to the very end. We feel this acutely, we feel alone, but God himself is with us. Listen to the, the poet, Edward Chilito. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. You see, you believe that 
Nobody understands what you're going through, but you're wrong. Jesus does. You believe that nobody can possibly understand your loss. It's so deep, but you're wrong. Jesus does. You believe that God doesn't care, but you're wrong, and you're not alone. And Jesus even went even farther than that. He enters into death. Again, this is nothing the Jewish rabbis could ever anticipate, that this Messiah would suffer. Well, that was a stretch. But endure the death of the cross, that was impossible. And here's why. There was no death worse than the crucifixion. Historian Tom Holland explains it like this. Exposed to public view like slabs of meat hung from a market stall, troublesome slaves were nailed to crosses. No death was more excruciating, more contemptible than crucifixion. To be hung naked, long in agony, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest, helpless to bear away the clamorous birds. Such a fate was the worst imaginable. Even in peacetime, executioners would make a spectacle of their victims by suspending them in a variety of ways. One perhaps upside down, with his head toward the ground, and another attached by his arms to a yoke. Yet in the exposure of the crucified to the public gaze, there lurked a paradox. So foul was the carrion reek of their disgrace that many felt tainted even by viewing a crucifixion. You see, it was so unsavory and hellish that even the Roman writers refused to write about it. The people didn't mention it. It was the most agonizing fate available. You see, Jesus didn't simply die. He died the most disgraceful and shameful death. And if you shudder to hear this description, you should. That this could be in God's plan seems impossible. So why? Isaiah tells us, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, it was here where our freedom was bought. Sin was covered. Forgiveness made possible, full and free to us. It was going headlong into death that death itself was defeated and our sins removed from us. Here's Paul writing, for while we were God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And this is what this means, it's simple. Your, your sins are covered. Your freedom is secured. Yes, Jesus came out of love for you. So I know you're ruminating over something in your past, a little indiscretion, or maybe it's not quite that little. But Jesus has come and he has died, so you're forgiven. You're living with an addiction. Maybe nobody knows about it, but it gets the best of you. You've tried to beat it. You've even made promises to yourself along the way and to God, but you've broken them. You're forgiven and you are loved. Here's Isaiah, do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. 
I love the story of a Princeton professor posted online. He post, decided to post online his CV or his resume of his significant failures. You'll see it. His name is Johannes Hosshofer. He lifts the PhD programs he didn't get into, the fellowships he was rejected for, the scholarships he applied for and didn't receive, the articles he wrote but were rejected by the publishers, the jobs he failed to get past the first interview for, and he did it because people think the pathway is easy, but he learned that it's strewn with failures and struggles. And the amazing thing he discovered later was more people had actually accessed that CV of his failures than all of his published works combined. <laughs> Isn't that great? But this is where we live every day, zoomed in on our failures and weaknesses, really stuck in our past and unable to free ourselves from our sin. And Jesus steps in and because of his death, with his love, he announces, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're free. Jesus says, I, you are mine. I gave up my life to ransom you, to free you from chains of regret and shame, self-hatred and judgment, but there's more. You see, wrapped in the coming of Jesus, the suffering of death is the, of Jesus is this promise. You will get through it. Well, you say, how can you know this? Jesus did. The cross is not the end of his story. And where you are right now is not the end of yours. As difficult as it may be to believe, God is working. Listen again to Paul. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I know it sounds crazy, rejoice in our sufferings. He's not saying rejoice because you are suffering. There's no denial of the difficulties we face here. But we know that even here, God is working to give us his love. There's no simple answer to why this is happening to you. God doesn't give us that. But he does tell us three things. He says, first, I'm working there as well. It was there in the heart of the cross that God brought his love to us. Sin and death are defeated. So we can always know that God is developing character in our lives and filling us with his spirit. And second, we can always know that we are going, what we're going through doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He does. Jesus coming and suffering and dying show us this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're hurting, don't believe for a moment that's a signal that God doesn't love you. He does. And third, you will get through it. It won't be painless and likely it won't be quick. But God will bring you through. In the middle of the night, in the pain and the loss, we don't believe this any more than the disciples could see the resurrection from the cross. But it was true and it still is. We fear the pain that will never leave. We fear the depression that will never lift and the load that will never lighten, but it will. 
The story of Jesus is one of deliverance, and this is all the way across Scripture. Joseph gets out of prison. Paul survives the shipwreck. David and his friends are not, um, Daniel and his friends are not burned in the fiery furnace. And David, who lived so long as a fugitive, finally takes the throne. This is what the, this story that God has written is all about, and he will deliver you. One of my spiritual heroes is this woman. She's pictured here with her husband. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. His name is Jim. And they went out as missionaries, as the young kids you see that they are in that picture. And one day she received the news that her husband Jim was missing following a missionary flight. And this is what she meditated on as she waited on the news. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And she prayed, Lord, don't let the waters sweep over me. Don't let the fire consume me. Five days later, she received the news that her husband had been killed by the members of the native tribe that he had gone to share the love of Jesus with. But the miraculous happened. Within two years, she was able to live in that very tribe among those very people who had killed her husband and also to share with them the love of Jesus. This is what she said. I've never thanked God that certain Indians murdered my husband. I don't think I need to thank God for that. But I do thank God that in the midst of that very situation, the world was still in his hands. The one who keeps all those galaxies wheeling in space is the very hand that holds me. And this is the hand that holds you. What would give us any confidence in this broken world that good will win out in the end except that God who is all powerful has revealed his love to us in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus died, the world wasn't spinning out of control, but in the hands of our loving and gracious God. And God actually brought the greatest deliverance through all of that. But that, but that will mean nothing until you trust in him. You won't be able to live free from the fear of death. And that's what tonight is all about. It's about trusting that God is with us. The man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The savior who died to set us free and to give us confidence in the love and purposes of God. So let me tell you, you're not alone. Jesus knows. You're forgiven. I don't know what's in your story but the blood of Christ is enough. And you will get through this. Would you pray together with me? Father, these are things that, that we don't wanna think about. We don't wanna think about our mortality and just how many needs are even in, in our city or in our church or in our families. And Father, it's because we're afraid maybe there won't be resources enough. Maybe there's not grace enough. And I pray tonight, Lord, that in Jesus, you will, show, you will show us in him that Jesus is enough. I pray that as we prepare to take this meal, Lord, that we'll receive and feed upon Christ, that in him we'll see that we're, whatever we're feeling, you are the God who is with us. 
and that you have loved us and redeemed us. You've called us by name and you've said that, that we're yours. Help us to rest in that. Give us a peace from knowing your grace and all that Jesus has done on our behalf that we might worship you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.